Good afternoon. Welcome back to, uh, we are beginning. Welcome back to uh, 154 Forum. It's, uh, it has been an exciting two days so far of, uh, of talks and discussions and we continue. Sorry for a little delay. We are victim of our success because uh, the, f the auditorium is uh, a little bit smaller than uh, the, the interest of people that uh, want to attend all these talks. So, uh, so without further delay, I would like to introduce this uh, distinguished panel. We just uh, that will look at talk about the public collections and the strategies that public collection apply to expand the collections on uh, contemporary African art. And we couldn't have better people than these three here on stage. I will begin uh, at the for the left with uh, Chris Dercon. Chris Dercon is a director of uh, Tate Modern. I don't think that I still have to introduce him here, but still, he's a, a art historian, a documentary filmmaker and cultural producer and uh, was appointed to Tate in 2011. He was previously director of Haste Kunst in Munich and the Museum Boymans van Boeningen in, in Rotterdam, as well as Vite de Witt in Center for Contemporary Art in Rotterdam. Chris was also director of, uh, program director of PS1 Museum in New York. He curated and co-curated, among others, exhibitions for Andre, of Andre Kader. Dan Graham, Constantine, I can never say his last name, Gritschik, Hans Hacke, Carlo Molino, Helio Tisica, and so on. Ai Weiwei, Franz Wetz. He has published extensively, contributed and to and edited to many catalogs, art publication lectures, and so on. Welcome, Chris, and thank you very much, Chris, for taking the time in your busy calendar to be with us. Um, we also have at uh, closer to me Jill Saunders. Jill Saunders is senior curator of prints in the world in the world and image department at the Victoria and Albert Museum. Her recent publications uh, include Print Now, Directions and Definitions, VNA with Rosie Miles, and Recording Britain in 2011, a series of essays on 20th century and contemporary representations of English landscape. In 2012, she devised street art from the Victorian Albert Museum and, and, and Libya, which toured in, uh, hold it, I'm sorry. She created street art from the Victorian Albert Museum in London and which toured to Tripoli and Benghazi. She's chair of the VNA Africa's Curators Group her latest book in, is uh, In Black and White, Prints from Africa and the Diaspora, co-curated with Zoe Whiteley, uh, has just been published. And uh, hosting this panel is uh, Dr. Maria Balshaw, sitting in the middle. Maria has been the director of the Whitworth Art Gallery since June 2006. She has coordinated and challenge, a challenging program of historic, modern, and contemporary exhibitions that capitalize on the Whitworth University location, as well as having a strong international profile. 
In 2011, she took the role of the director of Manchester City Gallery alongside her duties at the Whitworth. While in August 2013, she also took on strategic lead for culture for Manchester City Council. And Maria has launched a very interesting groundbreaking initiative for Manchester last year, which was called We Face Forward. Uh, uh, contemporary art show looking at contemporary production in Africa. So welcome and we are very excited to hear about all your ideas and what you're doing in your institutions. Thank you. Um, thank you Koyu. Um, it was a delight for me to work with Koyu and Raw Materials Company amongst a number of other um, arts organisations and artists based across West Africa when we developed We Face Forward, um, an exhibition that spanned all of the galleries in Manchester. So it's our final panel of the day. We're going to try and go as quickly as we can because we've got a slightly shorter period and some of our speakers have got other speaking duties this evening. Um, it feels really appropriate to be ending um, an afternoon where we've talked about the, um, the development of art institutions and collections in Africa and the role that private individuals have played in building collections that we now end on what public institutions here in, in Europe are doing as they start to think about holding as well as uh, collecting um, work from artists based across the African continent. I have to start with an apology though. Karen Milburn, who is Curator of African Art at the Smithsonian in Washington DC, can't join us because of the cancellation of the American government um, that has recently been afflicting that country and so she has not been allowed to travel. She's really sorry not to be here with us and I did just want in her absence to send her best wishes but also to draw your attention to the exhibition she's been involved in organising um, um, which is called Earth Matters, Land as Material and Metaphor in the Arts of Africa which is at the National Museum of Af African Art um, the Smithsonian Institute in Washington DC from now right till the end of the year. So if you are travelling that way, please do go and see it. But our two speakers are more than enough compensation, as Koyu points out, so I'm delighted to welcome them both. As Christine Ayen said um, earlier today, we're having this conversation in the context of 154, an art fair which is showing work by a very diverse group of artists from across the African continent and showing that work not as a summary of art from Africa but as part of a globalised multinodal art world. So we are in that context in the week where there are many art fairs happening in London. Each of us work within large institutions and large collections that are held in countries that have complicated imperial and colonial histories, to say the very least. Intentionally or not, the collections we hold are shaped by this history of exploitation, of empire, and indeed of slavery. As Koyu said earlier, there's 500 years that we have to bear in mind when we think about the collections that we hold and the relationship that we have with the African continent. But we also operate now in a global art world still unequal, but increasingly globalised and diverse. And in the UK, at least, we're operating in a country which is more diverse and ha in terms of communities of people from all over the world than it has ever been. And over the last 10 years, there has been a shift in institutional strategies 
in many areas and across many institutions in this country. We are just three um, examples of, of the things that have come into play. So first Jill and then Chris are going to talk about what the, how the V&A and Tate have approached these issues. Um, I'm hosting the conversation um, and particularly as Karen isn't here I'll throw in um, questions and thoughts that come from my particular Mancunian perspective but we also want to hold the conversation with all of you so I will open up to questions from the floor. Jill do you want to start? Okay thank you. Right, well, uh, a little bit of history first about the V&A's uh, collecting of African art and design. Um, I'm sorry to say that in many ways the V&A has had rather an erratic relationship with its uh, collections of material from Africa. Um, we have actively collected um, all kinds of art and design from the African continent, um, from the museum's foundation in the 1850s but um, as late as 1997 uh, a museum catalogue could claim that uh, the V&A does not collect African art and a little later in 2003 we were still saying in our um, uh, collecting policy the V&A does not collect historic material from Africa south of the Sahara. Um, both of these statements were um, disproved by uh, subsequent research and there was an important research project undertaken in the period 2005 to 2008 by uh, the Africa Research Fellow, um, Helen Mears. And I'm glad to see Helen is in the audience today, so if any questions come up about that project, um, I hope she'll uh, help to answer them. Um, this was part of our capacity building and cultural ownership uh, project supported by the Heritage Lottery Fund and this enabled us to identify sometimes for the first time um, many of the uh, pieces of African origin in the collection around 4,300 items in total which encompassed textiles, dress, jewellery, sculpture, metalwares, uh, ceramics as well as um, prints, drawings and photographs which we had collected more recently and were better documented. Um, so we are continuing of course to put resources into identifying, documenting and digitising material in the collections that relate to Africa and also crucially we're trying to develop um, relevant curatorial expertise because that has been lacking within the, uh, the established staff. Um, in 2009, we um, got together a, a, an Africa curators group within the V&A to bring together the expertise that sat in various um, collections and also uh, to bring together expertise that was not necessarily curatorial but was sitting in the research department or in the uh, learning department and so on. And this has been uh, a very valuable way of taking forward some of these projects. Um, last year we uh, curated an exhibition, a, a modestly scaled exhibition but quite ambitious in its intentions and its reach called V&A Africa Exploring Hidden Histories and this was very much intended to be a showcase for the, the fruit of all the research that um, Helen Mears and other colleagues had done 
it was to highlight some of these uh, African pieces in the collection, um, many of which had never been exhibited before. And also, crucially, it was to look at the vexed history um, that lay behind the acquisition um, and, in some cases, deaccession of some of these pieces. Um, we included uh, some of the uh, wonderful photographs by Walker Evans, um, this wonderful portfolio of 477 photographs which record the exhibits in MoMA's 1935 exhibition, uh, African Negro Art. The V&A being the only British institution to acquire this portfolio of photographs rather presciently in the following year, 1936. Um, also in Exploring Hidden Histories, we included some more recent acquisitions um, from uh, an area of the collection which is strong and, and um, growing stronger, that is um, photography, contemporary photography. And here are two photographs which um, were acquired as a result of our exhibition in 2011 called Figures and Fictions, Contemporary South African Photography. And i just show you um, a couple of installation views of figures and fictions. And at the same time as we showed figures and fictions, we also had uh, an exhibition of our um, exceptional holdings of photographs by David Goldblatt, uh, the South African photographer. And as I say, a number of the works that we showed in figures and fictions were subsequently acquired by the V&A, which um, was... Exhibitions are an important impetus, an important strategy for us in terms of collecting. Now, my own particular field is prints and printmaking. Um, we've been proactively collecting prints by artists from Africa and the African diaspora, and that's rather a sort of hazy division sometimes. Um, we've been collecting such prints since the early 1980s, and I'm just going to run through a few examples. Um, on screen at the moment, Uzo Egonu, a Nigerian, um, who in fact uh, studied and lived for most of his adult life in the UK. Uh, this is John Mwafangejo from Angola. Um, he learned his, um, his uh, lino cut uh, practice at the famous um, art and craft centre at Rourke's Drift in South Africa, which of course has been um, the source of many um, uh, gifted printmakers. We've also acquired prints by uh, Sue Williamson. Sue Williamson, born in the UK, but um, is now South African, having lived most of her life there. Uh, these two prints come from the series of Few South Africans, uh, which celebrates and also commemorates um, many of the unsung heroines in the fight against apartheid. And interestingly, uh, certainly interestingly for, for me and for the V&A as an institution, um, these prints were, at the time they were published, were also uh, reproduced as postcards, which were very widely collected. And so um, here we have an example of, of fine art, high art, being disseminated more, more widely um, through print. Um, this is Tayo Kwe, again, another artist from Nigeria who makes these wonderful, ambitious, large-scale lino cuts with a synthesis of Western art and indigenous patterns, motifs and subjects. Um, William Kentridge, of course, um, another significant artist um, from South Africa. 
Um, these prints and many others are included in uh, the book by myself and Zoe Whitley, which has just been published by the V&A in black and white, Prints from Africa and the Diaspora. And uh, you see here on screen, as well as the Chrysophili on the cover, um, uh, the black and white print is by uh, the Botswanan artist Tame Setshogo, and uh, below that, a uh, piece by Gavin Yanches from South Africa. So we're continuing to acquire works of art and design from all regions of Africa, as and when we can. And, of course, in accordance with the uh, priorities and the criteria which are set out in our uh, collecting plan, our collecting remit, and our focus now is very much on contemporary material in, the, in those areas of strength for the V&A, um, decorative art and design in particular, textiles and dress, but also um, because we have very, very strong collections of prints and graphics, we are actively collecting prints, posters and photographs. And I just want to finish by mentioning um, uh, another current uh, collecting project, um, uh, a collecting initiative called Staying Power. This is a five-year um, partnership between the V&A and the Black Cultural Archives, and it's supported by the National Lottery through the Heritage Lottery Fund. And the primary aim of this project is to collect photographs relating to the Black British experience from uh, the 1950s through to the 1990s. And uh, the photographs are being enriched um, by a, a sort of parallel um, oral history programme, which is being led by the Black Cultural Archives. Now, most of the photographs are um, by black British photographers, many of whom were uh, immigrants from the Caribbean. But we also have acquired um, some pieces by African photographers as part of this project. Uh, and as you see here, um, uh, just two pieces from a larger group by the Nigerian photographer Oja Kere, showing head ties and hairstyles. So we're using a number of different strategies. Um, often using external funds uh, to, to keep building the collection because we do feel it's crucially important uh, to build on the momentum in those areas of existing strength and expertise. We'll go straight over to Chris um, to talk about what's developing at Tate. This is working, right? There we go. Yeah. When I get invited to speak on behalf of Tate as State Modern Director in uh, conferences, conversations about the Renaissance or the, the invention or the integration of African modern and contemporary art in museums like Tate, I always wonder if we are doing the right thing. We ask ourselves, together with our curators, Elvira Diangani Jose and Karen Greenberg, they are both present and some of our members of the acquisitions committees, we always ask us, I think, very important questions which have to go necessarily beyond the word integration. Because I think we are, have arrived in a world, and that's where the arrival is, the popularity of African modern and contemporary art, we have arrived in a world whereby 
global integration has been superseded by the system of contemporary art and the system of different contemporary art worlds in terms of differentiation. So instead of global integration, I think we have to look at the phenomenon of contemporary art today, which is a system of differentiation. Indeed, contemporary art, African art fair, is a good example, has become a container where so many participants are knocking on so-called heaven's doors who want to participate. They also want to sell. They also want to be shown. And contemporary art is ideal indeed to allow all these participants because contemporary art as a system, as an aesthetical political system, has become a sponge which is soaking up literally everything. The question is, what is contemporary art still capable to give back? Is contemporary art still building a cultural space? Indeed, questions of national prestige, questions of social prestige have been superseded by a concentration of global wealth, which makes it, of course, very interesting to be part of that new economical system. So I would just like to ask you, which we have to do all the time, is that are we really interested in African art? Is that also the reason why we put everything together in a mixed bag, like talking about diversity? Artists living in London, Great Britain, of African descent. African-American artists contemporary African art from West Africa, from East Africa. Are we, we are not able, able even to differentiate or to make a difference between these different phenomenons. So maybe the reason why we speak today so happily and celebrate the arrival at the market of contemporary African art or modern African art has to do with the fact that we live in this global system, this global system which is called contemporary art, where so much is not at stake, not at all, but so much is possible. Where there are so many participants, where there is such a desire to participate, and where there is indeed a possibility to participate and to get a return on your investments. This is the bad news. And every time I think when we look at what we do, we have to wonder why do we do this and why is it suddenly possible? The second thing is the good news. The good news is that indeed we are confronted with artists coming from all over the globe and especially from West Africa who are, like Achille Mbembe is saying, were truly Afropolitans. There is a high velocity circulation of forms, there is different forms of participation. Artists, cultural producers, they go back and forth and they are flexible. They are not flex workers, but they are flexible and they can adapt without losing their own identity, which is a highly interesting phenomenon. I think that's also one of the reasons of the success of contemporary African photography. And in these new systems, in these new circulation forms, in these new forms of going back and forth in this high velocity, I think we have to learn to transform our, all, our own cultural institutions and to adapt not to these new demands and new requests, which we can understand why they are, but to understand that there is a new form of cultural production which we are not maybe yet aware of yet. And in order to 
understand that new form of cultural production, we probably have to ask much more specific questions than talking about diversity and talking about access and talking about integration. Maybe we have to ask questions like Art Montley did recently in terms of uh, maybe this is a game of corrections. Corrections of what? Maybe the fact that we are suddenly so interested in African-American artists is a correction to the fact that we are confronted with almost caricatures of neo-capitalist forms of popular African-American culture. That would be an interesting question. Maybe we have to ask corrections in saying that what we see is not part of the industrial revolution, but part of an industrious revolution, like Sarat Maharaj is saying. An industrious revolution which is now suddenly allow us to see arts and crafts, to see different forms of cultural production in a completely new way. And that, of course, is very interesting, because that can lead us that we have to look much more carefully than before into what we mean with so-called moderns, with modernities. And I would like to quote Okrian Weser, who proposed recently, he said, if you guys at Tate Modern want to do what you do, just think about it. Tate Modern, Tate Moderns, that's fine. Next Tuesday, we are opening moder modernities, plural, at the Centre Pompidou, the rehang. But maybe you have to much, be much more precise and ask yourself what that means, the industrious revolution. What does it mean to allow certain disciplines and not to allow certain disciplines? And especially, what does it mean if you talk about different forms of modernity? Number one, we have to be really careful that we understand forms of pre-modernity in Africa. What is coming before modernity? Second, we have to understand the limitations of Western modernism. Do we understand the implication of the limitations of Western modernism? Third, we have to con consider and to start looking at African modernity in the form of a lexicon, in the form of an archive. What do we really know? And fourth, we have to be very aware that African modernity or what's happening in Africa in terms of these modernities uh, is very much hindered by a double bind. A double bind that is that we don't know yet or we don't know enough yet what African modernity is and at the same time we don't know yet enough how our conception of Western modernity has limited a historiography, a historiography of African modernity. So we have to ask, we really have to forget global integration, please. Let's forget about diversity, please. Let's start to ask these very precise questions. What is the influence of the market? What is the influence of these completely different systems? What is the influence of the segmentation of the economical aspect of uh, contemporary art? Why do we all want to participate? Why do we all want to be there? And especially, let's forget all the lessons which we thought were the correct lessons that we know what African identity is, that we know what African modernity is. And I'm really thankful to be able to work in Tate Modern, where these questions are constantly asked by the curators and where we constantly debate even the term Africanness. Indeed, please, let's forget this word Africa at some point. I'm very interested what's going on in Benin. I'm very interested what's going on in Guinea-Bissau. And I want to understand the difference between African-American art in Chicago on the West Coast and the East Coast. 
So we have to ask much more important questions. Only when we ask the right questions, we will get the right answers. A couple of months ago in Alger, I found in an old bookstore, I found this book. It was published in 1970 in Munich by the Museum of Ethnology. And I was fascinated in this book because this was a lexicon of all the existing museums, archaeological museums, national museums, historical museums, and even art museums in the entire region, in the entire continent of Africa. If you look at these pages, you can count hundreds of museums, all kinds of museums. And we came to the conclusion with our curators upon the opening of Meshakaba, his Museum of Contemporary African Art, and with the visitors, specialists coming to attend the opening, that most of these museums have changed names. But actually, there are much less museums than listed in this book. And there are not any more museums of art, which we would have expected. There are a couple of new private art museums being built. This is the kind of lexicon which we, I think we have to study when we talk about Africa, and when we talk about the just past, and when we talk about our own activities. This, ladies and gentlemen, is just a book of 1970. <coughs> now, back to Tate. What we do at Tate, Ibrahim El-Salahi, Meshakaba, the acquisitions, the African Acquisitions Committee, is not at all new. We started in 1994 when we hosted a conference organized by INIVA about new internationalism. I remember very well at Tate Britain because I've been associated with INIVA since 1991. My mentor was, besides Sarat Maharaj, was of course Stuart Hall. And we organized this conference at Tate Britain and we asked ourselves what could we do together and we felt very frustrated at INIVA that not much was possible. INIVA was not taken seriously at all. It took many, many years for Jelaine Tavadros, it took many, many years for all the colleagues at INIVA to really get a platform in these big museums. Bit by bit it started finally. This exhibition is still for me a very important manifesto, which is Century City, whereby cities like Lagos, cities like Rio de Janeiro and cities like Mumbai got, of course, their own platform. And Lagos was curated by Okwi and Wezer. This exhibition has been a very important doppelganger, a very important unique double for what was going on then in terms of the hangings, the display systems of Tate Modern. In Tate Britain as well, slowly it started, there were exhibitions of Chrysophili. In Tate Liverpool, we had an exhibition in 2010, Afro-Modern, Journeys Through the Black Atlantic. And also at Tate Modern, in 2005, we invited artists like Meshaka but already in 2004, Mohamed Kamara, to present their work in project spaces, so-called project spaces. Nicholas Lobo, 2008, was the first exhibition of Karen Greenberg in terms of concentrating on the presence of African artists. Contested Terrain was another example where we worked with local institutions in West Africa, in this case with the CCA in Lagos in Nigeria. In the displays also we started slowly to integrate our acquisitions. Acquisitions which were done by Tate and now thanks to the African Acquisitions Committee which exists since two years, which becomes much more important and much more numerous and we always already from the very beginning, tried to integrate these acquisitions in the displays. 
The Acquisitions Committee was launched in 2011. And I just give you the example of the work of Ibrahim El Salahi. I'm not going to tell you where he comes from. He lives in Oxford after moments in Sudan and, and in, in Doha. And Ibrahim El Salahi, we decided to buy a painting of his. And this is the old room with Germain Richet and Picasso. And after we bought it, we decided to start to integrate Ibrahim El Salahi and other works like Dia Lazawi in our displays. Ibrahim El Salahi, like probably our colleagues at the Museum of Modern Art saw him, because the Museum of, of Modern Art bought in 1965-1966 three or four works of Ibrahim El Salahi. Probably they are still in storage, maybe they are gone. <laughs> we decided very carefully to use these words and to test things out like Sandberg did in the past. We even forgot the, the history of the Stedelijk Museum, that Sandberg worked with the Tropen Museum in Amsterdam to make these integrations possible. At the same time, we organized the exhibition of Ibrahim Salahi, but for us it's very important to show first the acquisitions and then to initiate these exhibitions. Here you see how the painting was then integrated in the exhibition. This is another work of Ibrahim El Salahi, which we bought. And yes, indeed, we buy a lot of African photography. I think I explained to you why African photography, contemporary and modern photography is so important. Here you have some examples. El Anawatsui is important, William Kentridge. And this work, I want to end with that, is Meshakaba, the Museum of Contemporary African Art. It is a project, it is an exhibition, it is a museum within the museum, and it was very important for us to buy it, because like Okwian Weser writes in the catalogue, the presence of this fictitious museum, which is not a model, but asking questions, asking questions what could be a museum of contemporary African art, what could be African contemporary art in the context of Western modernity, this museum is asking questions, and it's very important to have it because beyond asking questions, it's also a parasite. It's getting into trade modern, it's getting into the life of an institution. And I do think that it will change the life of Tate Modern forever. And every time we buy an acquisition, it has to be transformative. And I think that's the way to begin to transform. And that's not integration. Transformation is different from integration. Thank you very much. I very quickly want to open up to questions, but um, since I'm sitting in the middle, um, I feel I ought to say that I feel in some ways the Whitworth Art Gallery and the Manchester City Galleries sit in between um, the institutions that we've just heard from. Because the specific question that we were trying to address in making an exhibition called We Face Forward was about a history that existed already in our collections, uh, which had been there since the very beginning. So uh, the finest examples of textiles come from West Africa and come from Manchester's specific relationship with particularly Ghana and Senegal and Benin and also Nigeria. And we found, as we started to explore our collections, that the finest African textiles in our collection were actually produced in Manchester for the African market and then were reproduced in Africa and sent back for the African communities that lived in Manchester. And so there was a dialogue that had been going on for 150 years that was in our collection that we had not been paying attention to. 
And so we had to refocus our contemporary attention to start to understand our historic collections differently. So we're engaged in both <coughs> what you are doing and what you are doing. And it was the right question for us to be <coughs> asking ourselves in 2012 when we were supposed to be celebrating a global cultural as well as sporting event like the Olympics. But we could only ask that question from Manchester. And We Face Forward is a, a quote that comes from Nkrumah who had come to Manchester for the Pan-African Congress in 1948 and had had a debate that was not 250 yards from our institutions. So with that, I'd like to open up to you because there has been so much um, thought-provoking um, stuff shared. Can you wait till you get a microphone in your hand before you ask a question and say who you are? Can we start here? Um, I, I have a, a very simple question um, about integration. My question won't be about integration. I remember a conference with your, your mentors, you would hold. Uh, we finished, and um, somebody asked him in the room, it was at SOAS, asked him, well, they want us, I don't know who is the they, don't know who want, but, but that person asked, they want us to be integrated. What do you think about that? What is your take on that? And Swift answered, they don't want you to be integrated. They want to disintegrate you. So um, um, talking about that, you, you, you're all working in an institution, and there's uh, something I would like to know. What is the place, or what is the debate, or what is the contradiction between the thinking and the politic? Because all of your museums are working according to a certain politics, and those politics may be local, when the museum's aim might be uh, more diverse. Uh, aren't you facing contradiction, and, and what are the tensions between, uh, between what you're trying to do and, um, and the constraints, the local constraints? You, you, you're having institutions in, in England. Uh, for whom are you doing what you're doing? I don't, okay. feel, I don't feel that what you're trying to do is, uh, is just a contradiction, because the museum is full of contradictions. The museum, as a phenomenon, is a range of contradictions between the old and the new, the stupid and the good, the very, very expensive and the very, very cheap. And this is to add on one of these contradictions. And I mean it seriously. I think the, the, the idea of the museum is to allow for these paradoxes, not to solve them, but to show them as paradoxes and to show them as contradictions. Now, to respond to your question in terms of social or economical um, or political in a context, the specific context, I, I think that Tate, Tate Modern, because of his international constitution, is really, really a place of becoming where you can allow for these kind of transformations. And it's only because from the very beginning when Tate was created, I do think that Tate wanted, not just in his program, but especially in its terms of its organization, to be an international organization. And that's probably gives us much more options than museums which are clearly associated with London or with Great Britain. Don't forget that I would say in terms of the African Acquisitions Committee that, and other Acquisitions Committee that about 70% are non-British citizens, which allows us an amazing kind of freedom. The second is that when I show you these images, I should also have told that we are not just receiving and importing 
works of art and importing exhibitions, but also we co-produce. One of our series is called Across the Board, which we are co-producing with places as close or as far as Douala in Cameroon, as Accra in Ghana, which we did already, and we're going to be in the spring of 2014 in Lagos. Contested Terrain, uh, Terrains was co-produced with the CCA in Lagos, so there are many, many forms of exchange. <coughs> And that makes it, I think, very interesting, and it makes it also take uh, a very, I would say, very basic platform to work from in terms of, indeed, a, a new form of internationalism, which I would love to describe now 20 years later as a new history of art. I don't think we go far enough yet. I would love to be able, and we spoke about it before, I would love to be able to think more about how to make exhibitions, how to give form to this notion of the industrious revolution, to combine arts and crafts. I would also really, really long for exhibitions which actually make it very clear that African-American art and the interest in African-American art is a correction to the silliness of the neo-capitalist, you know, African-American popular culture. I mean, we didn't want JC coming to present this video installation, Picasso Baby, because it's very <coughs> bad. It's incredibly bad art. I mean, that's <laughs> simple as that. No, uh, I, I believe in Habermas, who, all, who once said that critique is love. And I think we, we, we should really be able to allow to say, this is very bad, this is bad, this is good, and this is very good. And uh, in that sense, I think it's very important to stay awake, even while allowing contradictions and to make sure that you come across and that your point is very, very clear. And these kind of exhibitions, I think, are much more important than to talk about diversity and integration. Jill, have you got anything you want uh, to add? Yes, I was just going to say, um, of course, the V&A has this subtitle, the National Museum of Art and Design. But uh, that's kind of limiting, because, of course, we have an international reach. We have an international reputation we collect from across the world in all fields, um, all fields that we represent. Um, and we famously have collections of work from China, from Japan, from India. Um, it's only Africa in a sense that's been you know, invisible in our collections for so long. But it has been there and we are trying to make it more visible. Um, Many of our visitors come to us and um, say, oh, well, I see you've got a you know, gallery devoted to Korean art. Where's the Africa gallery? And of course, we haven't got one yet. It is an aspiration that we will have one. But currently, the um, works of art from Africa that we uh, have on display sit in various of the galleries, either um, uh, what we call... Um, uh, art and design galleries or in um, thematic or period galleries. So we have plenty of things from Africa which are on display, but they're not sitting under a label which says Africa. Um, and in our current collecting, I would say we're not treating Africa as a thing apart. You know, when I'm collecting prints, um, you know, there's exciting printmaking going on all over Africa. And so I want to represent that just as much as I do what's going on in Eastern Europe or Latin America or wherever. And I suppose the only thing I would add is that Manchester is a regional museum, but it is a both local and international institution. 
And so the industrial and industrious revolution is what has made the city that we're in. And the industrial revolution was an international phenomenon. It drew this, it took resources from one part of the world and turned it into money in Manchester. And so it's not possible to talk about art and art collections in Manchester without talking about the relationship, not just with Africa, but also with India in particular. And so the work that we're doing, um, both exhibitions and changing the collections in the contemporary collections in the city, is only about doing what we should be doing. It is our local question as well as our international responsibility. And so the most important thing to me about doing something like We Face Forward is it wasn't a special interest exhibition. It was just the exhibition that we should have been doing in that city. I think also to add to, to, to Tate Modern is that once you start to accept and to understand that objects which we associate with African modern or contemporary art, that they come to you as part of this new economical system, as goods which are part of a system, and the system needs always new goods because there is an incredible demand. If you accept that question as a paradox, then you can start to ask new questions and you can start to be much more precise and much more daring. So I would like to warn you for being too celebratory because the system of visual art is already a system of the celebration of celebration. I would warn you for too much enthusiasm. I would warn you for too much naivete and a kind of welcoming, finally we are part of the game. It's ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, except that it's completely part of the system, how it works, okay? With all these new investors and new investments and new demands. I'm not talking about the bubble. I'm talking about a system which is incredibly complex. So when you accept that, then you can start to ask these questions which are necessary. So there's a very vigorous question at the front here and then we'll come back out. Thank you so much, Chris, talking about systems and also warning us or anyone to be too celebratory. Uh, I just want you to tell us how you feel at Tate that an African bank funds you to buy Afri contemporary African art and that actually it was not before that that a whole program was launched. So talking about systems, it's also also a kind of a system of, uh, you know, you were talking about integration and disintegration and transformation. What kind of uh, uh, transformation is operating there? The, the presence of um, the Musée d'Art Contemporain Africain of Meshakaba in the museum is indeed to create a mole in the museum, is to position a museum within the museum. And it's asking all kinds of questions which are also relative for Western modernity. What is an archive? What is, um, what is the system of the index? What is participation? So in terms of transformation, I think it's very important that whenever you do activities, whenever you buy works of art, that they do change, not just a little bit, a section of your museum, but they question you know, the whole range of acquisitions and that they also create a mirror for the acquisitions you do in terms of other regions. So 
we don't want to do African festivals. We don't want to do African themed exhibitions. These exhibitions are really, I think, um, answers and questions, questions and answers to this global interconnectedness or the global connectedness or our connectedness with Africa, whereby the connectedness creates a surplus value, cre uh, creates a kind of surplus, and this surplus is something which we have to start to understand because it's only a surplus. So you have to deal with these kind of questions and you have to make exhibitions of these kind of questions. And I think that the fact that Mesha Kaba did whatever he did, which is such a, a massive presence, was indeed creating a form of surplus, secreting out the surplus out of this global connectedness of the connectedness uh, with Africa. And I just want to quote Hazume, Hazume in Graz, but it is wonderful. I have wonderful. to stop okay, you. Good. <laughs> right there, because okay. he was one of my mentors, and he always told me, when you are asked a question, just say what you want. You don't necessarily have to reply. So you didn't answer my question. No. I ask it again, you know. <laughs> and I pose it again. What is the uh, transformation mm -hmm. of a guaranteed trust bank, a Nigerian bank, mm -hmm. knocking at heaven's door of Tate, mm -hmm. and Tate welcoming them mm -hmm. to build a collection of contemporary mm -hmm. African art? How do you it's feel not, about It's not that? just uh, the fact that we are helped and supported in a very generous way by GTB is not very unique, because we are not just helped by GTB, we have very, very important and generous members of the Acquisitions Committee, GTB, the Guarantee Trust Bank, is one of our funds to make activities possible. The funds of GTB, I would say that for the moment, at least, half of them is going back to Africa in terms of um, events, in terms of initiatives like across the board, where we create events in Tate, which are co-produced with local institutions in Africa, West Africa, but also where we create events which takes place in Africa. So it's not just taking the funds away and then buying a work of contemporary or modern African art and hang it in the rooms of Tate Modern. It's really a form of working together and doing something in a completely different way. So when people ask me and they said, you know, you take the funds away of um, GTB and you uh, funnel and channel it into the work of Tate Modern, I completely disagree because I think we use these funds in a way uh, that it's becoming a kind of proactive way of working with I, the producers, where are things coming from. Until you said, I completely disagree with that. I feel, as no. director of my institution, mm -hmm. that, um, that I, we are in a position of extreme privilege and that we are able to access funds because mm -hmm. of our situation in the UK and because of public funding of the arts here, which is so very different from the situation that Koyu or Bisi or anybody else working across Africa or West Africa. And I feel more comfortable in saying, um, I notice that. And I can you can build relationships, and that's one of the things that we can do to, to redress the imbalance. But I think we have to be very careful to notice extremely the position from which we operate and part of the relationship building that we have been doing in Manchester and continual relationship building is to try and chip away at that because because we are in an impossible situation both of us Chris because we can't say well actually because I think it ought to go somewhere else I don't really want the money thank you 
because I don't believe then it would necessarily go to the right place. But together, we must keep noticing strongly. Are there other questions? We could perhaps make two more, because Chris has got to go and give another talk <laughs> somewhere else <laughs> in a minute. Hi, thank you. Um, stand up. Um, I just have a question regarding audience, which I feel is one thing we haven't really discussed at all. And I understand this is obviously about collections, but in terms of public collections, and particularly what for me distinguishes them from private collections is this public responsibility. And in order to ensure that exactly these artworks and these art genres don't become these disconnected objects from a different culture, I just wonder if you could have any sort of comments on how to contextualize them in a, in a local context in Britain. Thank you. Do you want to start? The exhibitions and events we have been creating in the past 16 months have not only been tremendously successful with the general audience, but also with an audience which is probably you know, recognizing themselves in what these artists represent, who they are, where they come from. And I can just say that we have a much, much more diverse kind of audience since we are doing these activities than ever before. On the weekend when we did politics of representation, I believe, Ervira, um, where we had performance, which was questioning the character of our collection, many, many members of the audience were never been before in Tate. They were incredibly young. And they were also coming from many different parts of the city. So I would say that in terms of when you program certain activities, there is a completely different appeal and there is a completely different audience which is coming towards you. So it does have an effect on diverse audiences. Yeah. I mean, I'd say exactly the same. Our experience in Manchester is that uh, you can do an exhibition of 33 artists that hardly anyone has ever heard of and not even kind of and have a title that doesn't even say exactly what it's about and get a, a, an audience that was the most diverse we've ever seen as well as um, the largest that we've ever seen across the summer. And there was a period during July where we had events as well as the exhibition on where 44% of our audience were um, from self-identified black and minority ethnic groups and that was a mixture of local people and international visitors and people who had never come to either of the institutions ever before. And it taught us a huge lesson because all of the marketeers and various people that were organising things said things like, you can't have Meshach's flag as the identity for your exhibition because how will anyone recognise what it is? And so well, it's a bloody big flag, isn't it? You know, they'll see it and hopefully they will come. And they did. And so the audience, we have found, have been much more adventurous and intelligent and bold than um, some of us within the institutions were, um, were willing to give them credit for. I just want to go back to your question. <laughs> <laughs> um, I forgot one thing to say, that no, is that thanks to, <laughs> thanks to GTB, we are able to, you know, to create these events in Douala and, uh, and Accra and other places like Lagos. But also, it was possible, thanks to part of the aid of uh, the support of GTB, to buy the entire museum of Meshakaba. And I'm saying that because suddenly, uh, museums in Stockholm, the, muse the uh, Modernat Museum, and also institutions in Berlin have seen 
this work, this acquisition, which is taking half a wing or an entire wing of Tate. And uh, we're going to present the museum of Meshakaba in Berlin in September 2014. And the reason why we are invited to Berlin, which is very interesting, is because uh, the organizers in Berlin want to use the presence of the museum of Meshakaba to again debate the definition and the future role of the so-called Humboldt Forum in Berlin, which presents itself finally as the diverse temple of Central Europe. Nobody knows what that should mean. And I'm really happy that to be able to be in Berlin with Meshakaba, with Tate Modern, with our curators to contribute to the debate what this new forum in Berlin could be and should be. So I think that the investment of GTB is very well placed, right? It has, uh, not only, it has not only an effect in, in London, but also an effect in Berlin. So I think they were absolutely smart investors. Does anyone want to have a final question after that? Sorry, but I didn't hear the answer. Ah, yes. So you want me to address the question about audiences? No, unless you don't want Oh, no, I'm, I'm more than happy to. Um, I mean, uh, we know that we have um, good established audiences for more or less anything relating to photography. That is, that is a given. We, um, we always get huge numbers of people uh, to a photography show. And Figures and Fictions, for example, and the David Goldblatt um, exhibition were, were no exception. Um, one of the uh, awkward things about... Um, our collections and our exhibitions program is we do have um, uh, a lot of um, people from uh, Afro-Caribbean backgrounds who come to the museum maybe for um, an educational event. We have a good program of uh, learning events of all kinds and they often say to us, um, you know, where, where is my heritage, where is my culture in this museum? Um, and so we are conscious that we're not fulfilling the expectations of some of our audiences and we are thinking and planning uh, ways of, of answering the, the needs and expectations of audiences beyond those we already have, you know, on board. So, um, yeah, that's very important to us. In the middle. Um, uh, sorry, I just wanted to... In fact, you, uh, you touched on education there. In the 1970s and early 1980s, most art schools taught uh, African art under the primitive art Oceania uh, subject. Mm -hmm. Gradually, most art schools have dropped the subject and in, in whatever forms. I just wonder whether um, the museums could have a sort of influence uh, or whether the education programs have any remit to actually <coughs> redress that, that bit of education within the art schools. Mm. I, don't, I just don't, apart from SOAS and various universities, the, arts, the schools that used to be art schools and now universities hardly teach anything on, on the subject. Mm -hmm. I think we do a lot of these. I mean, we have uh, a lot of learning activities developed. 
across the board, that means across the exhibitions when we do displays, but also we host, uh, since many, many, since many years, we host many different symposia, which the students who are going to university here, they are absolutely benefiting from that because they encounter scholars coming from Africa, they encounter subjects and topics which they don't get, you know, confronted with in their own institutions. So we see each, we see ourselves also as a, an educational institution in that sense. So it's not just acquisitions, it's not just exhibitions, it's also events and it's definitely a lot of educational activities. And I see that as a very, very important form of a politics. Indeed to make sure that the transformation we strive for, again, not the integration, but the transformation we strive for, is taking place on many different levels. And I, I would like to quote in a magazine which came out yesterday, which is somebody we have been collecting since a couple of years, is Linette Yadon-Boakier, who, who said the following, there was a question, is there a political context playing a role in your work? You know, this is the work of Lynette, you know her. She said, always, but I think that's the case for almost everyone in one way or another. For me, painting itself, itself is politicized, but it's normally the fact that there are black figures in the work which leads to questions about politics. I can understand that, though I don't necessarily embrace it. Black people aren't exotic or strange to me. Quite the opposite, actually. The politics that concern me have much more to do with that than anything else. And I think that's so important. I mean, not to ask that question anymore. It's another politics which we need. And that's the reason why I talked about transformation. And that's for the reason why I'm not ashamed to receive the money of GTB. <laughs> <laughs> so, now we are I equal, right? <laughs> right. It is... Pass, I'm going to ask one last question and then you are going to have to run, Chris, otherwise you'll be late you for your next appointment. You want me to get rid of me, I feel like. <laughs> no, you told me you... No, no, I have to go. I loved your question. Um, my name is Claire Cooper and I run Art First, which is a London gallery with a strong Afro-Hebridean alliance between our artists. And in tribute to our absent friend from the Smithsonian, we actually have spent the week with Christine Kramer, um, the director of the National Museum of African Art, who has been with us for five years, five days in London. Um, she came because the artist that we're exhibiting has been profoundly engaged with the issue of a museum in Africa for African art. And when he and Christine worked together, last year on the African Cosmos exhibition in Washington. At the huge press conference which emerged, there was a question that why was it the Smithsonian in Washington that was addressing the huge issues of Africa's contribution to world knowledge? In this moment, it was to do with stellar arts and <coughs> the African approach to the cosmos. And they put the question to Carl Nell, the artist who had advised and worked with her on this program, on this exhibition. And they were astonished to hear from him, a professor in Johannesburg, an artist, a curator, a collector, that Africa itself had no museum. It was entirely dependent on Washington, on Musée Branly, as the main custodians of 
great traditional and contemporary African art and that there was an effort to move towards and probably generated by Johannesburg to create a major, major museum of contemporary African art for the continent, of the continent, about the continent itself. Um, and Christine has been here discussing that issue with us and with other participants, some of them are in this room. Um, and we continue that discussion with Karen um, and Yubira next week. And I just wanted to sort of have a voice for Christine, um, mm -hmm. who would have liked to be at this conference mm -hmm. as well, mm -hmm. and to pay tribute to all the work she's been doing. In terms of uh, future of museums, which are fully committed to African modern, African contemporary art. I think we are much further in this country than in the United States of America. I mean, the so-called Museum of African Art, which was supposed to be built, is going to be turned into a center for African culture and uh, much more like a center for lobbyists. So I would say that we are way ahead, everybody, even if uh, Brad Pitt is producing Steve McQueen in a film about slavery. We are way ahead, <laughs> way ahead, absolutely. And uh, even further, like Simon was just uh, saying, even further than France. So, and I can say that because I'm Belgium and I, I come from Tervuren. My background is the Musée de l'Afrique de Tervuren, which I know quite well. So I would say that we are in Great Britain, that we are incredibly far right now, from Manchester to the V&A, through Tate, through the British Museum, because don't forget, we always talk about the V&A, but when we started to think about acquisitions and collection, we really said we have to speak first to the V&A and the British Museum, and you remember, Chris, we did that. We invited everybody, we're still talking. What are you doing? What are you doing? What do we do? We are not going to collect a big body of work of David Goldblatt. The best collection of David Goldblatt in the entire world is there, at the V&A. We are not going to try to collect Rashid Koreci. I mean, the best collection of Rashid Koreci is in the British Museum. Thanks to GTB, we... 4-1. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> <Four>, okay. Last <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice question. Yeah. There's one... F uh, there's I think we have to take one more. And that's finished. And, and we, we have to go. We have to go, go. really. Um, my name is Brendan Bell Roberts. I'm from Cape Town, <clears throat> so I'm quite aware of what's going on there in terms of the institutions and the like. And I think uh, there's a lot of money in and on the African continent. <clears throat> I think there's not um, <coughs> the people running the institutions there are not necessarily geared to running them, in my opinion. And I think there's a lot of um, knowledge that can possibly come from the likes of the Tate and the other organizations to to possibly even do a bit more on the continent with some of those institutions and possibly you know work towards programming and stuff like that too I, I want to be very careful what you say because you know I learn a lot from small institutions like La Fondation Zanzou uh, in, in Benin I learned a lot from Koyo Koyo with raw material I learned a lot from a gallery where I, which I adore in Segou, in Mali. Mm -hmm. I learned a lot from what's happening at the I'm photo workshop. I, I learned a lot from the photo workshop in Johannesburg. So 
I don't know why you say that, because there is really a lot, a lot of knowledge which is local, which we don't have. The best museum of textiles is in, uh, the best museum of textiles is in Mali, in, in, uh, in Bamako. But we probably, we don't have, again, we have to start building an, a lexicon. I mean, it would be very nice to work from the 1970 Red Book of uh, African museums and to make a new lexicon <laughs> because I'm afraid that our knowledge of Africa is very limited. It's not a critique on you. I mean, every day I have to learn this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. I agree with you and, mm -hmm. and all you said in no. all those institutions, but there are, mm -hmm. there are massive collections of, mm -hmm. of public art that's almost sitting dormant, I know, mm -hmm. in, in some institutions mm -hmm. too. And I think those can play mm -hmm. a big role also in highlighting uh, the the Centre Pompidou is uh, going to work with Clive Kellner to create a, a major new kind of private museum. I think one of the, not one of the dangers, but one of the things which we tend to underestimate is the fact that in Africa, but also on the South Asian continent, what we see in terms of museums is definitely geared towards a privatized form of uh, culture, of instituting in a private way the museum. And the consequences of this, I was yesterday witness of a of small gathering of the CIMAM, the consequences of the fact, not about private-public partnerships, but about the fact that everything is geared toward a kind of private initiative, that's something which we don't know yet the consequences of. And I think that's much more interesting than, again, what do we know, what we don't know. And then I go back to my thing which I said in the beginning. Forget about it. It's all part of this complex financial systems. There are people out there who want to make money. Fine. Okay. Well, uh, that's a good final word. Uh, I think uh, we... No, he's beating me because he's doing it in a male way. Very competitive. I don't buy that. You know. So, I don't, I don't do that. I don't do that. So, um, tomorrow we'll continue, will be our, our day of artist talk that will be focusing on international artists working and producing in Africa. It will be very exciting. Uh, talks with uh, Olafur Eliasson, Kasten Höller, and uh, Not Vital. Unfortunately, Baudin Mwanda didn't get a visa to come to, the, to Britain, so his talk uh, has to be cancelled. So all the talks begin tomorrow at 3 p.m. and we hope to see you again. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Maria. Thank you, Jill. See you.